So cool to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I haven't had my coffee. Don't ask me questions like that yet. Oh, Julian and Kerry are here. So awesome, back from up north. Um, before I get into my um, sermon this morning, and again, I just want to say a welcome to everyone here and newcomers and friends and live stream. And I think the Fiji or Renew Church Fiji are going to be either watching this live or um, later on. So welcome to you guys, the Fijian community. So awesome to see you here uh, to celebrate the special time where we are actually going to be praying for and commissioning Polar and Seru um, into uh, leadership as Pacifica pastors of Renew Church, which is so exciting. Uh, and I'm, I want to share just a little bit about where we have come from and, and why this is happening today. So Polar and Seru have been an incredible and valued part of our church for many, many years. And um, you only have to spend just a short amount of time um, with Polar and Seru, and you know that God's call and anointing and grace is all upon their lives. Um, it's very, very evident. Um, and I was privileged for two times now to go on um, missionary trips, or min yeah, ministry trips to Fiji um, with Polar and the team. And uh, I have, as I said on, on other occasions, just hanging out and, and, and being with them for that time and even sharing uh, a room with them, just getting to know the man. He is such an awesome, awesome guy. Um, and just seeing how he's, uh, both of them actually, have, have carried themselves um, honoured God, honoured each other. Um, it's just been incredible to see. Um, so when we came back from Fiji this time, or, really, or actually during Fiji, um, God really emplaced, uh, placed upon my heart that we needed to elevate Polar and Seru in, in, into leadership and into ministry, especially because of the connection that God has done with us and the Fijian churches. And that's just been something supernatural that God has orchestrated over the last few years. So for those of you that are new to our church, uh, there are several churches over in Fiji that have joined us as Renew Church, um, an incredible church family. And just as much as we give and bless them, they give and bless us so much as well. And that's something that God has has set up, and it is such an incredible thing and a journey to, to see that God is doing that with our two cultures. So coming back from Fiji, uh, really felt strongly to, to see what God wanted to do with the Pacifica community in our church and beyond. And so I, I said to, to Oversight Team, this is what I'm thinking, what do you guys think? And unanimously they said, man, this is an awesome idea. God's in this, let's do it. And I took um, Polar out for a hot chocolate. I think both of us had hot chocolates. And um, just talked it over with him and, and um, allowed him time to pray with Seru. And they said, yeah, this is really what we're, we feel that God is calling us to. Um, so what does Pacifica pastor mean? And, and just some of the roles that Polar and Seru are going to do. It's a volunteer role at this stage. But some of the things here is uh, to develop and oversee the Pacifica ministry of Renew Church New Zealand. And this will include leading Pacifica-flavored connect groups and ministries, serving as pastoral support and connection to the people of the Pacific Islands who attend Renew Church, serving as a relationship and cultural liaison between Renew Church New Zealand and Renew Church Fiji, and partnering with our missions coordinator and planning and running multicultural events and outreaches, and just being part of the key vision team here. Um, we, we've got a huge heart to be multicultural, and that's something you just can't force or strive for. I believe it's something that the Holy Spirit starts to um, do in a, in a church's uh, life and a church's journey. So that is why we are so excited this morning to uh, be able to do this. And as an oversight team um, and spouses and key team to be able to pray uh, Polar and Siri on stage, uh, up here on stage and pray them into this role as Pacifica pastors. So um, Polar and Siri, if you want to jump up on stage and the oversight team, if you want to jump up as well and spouses can come up on here, um, it would be awesome. 
Wow, that is a beautiful, beautiful night. <laughs> Thank you so much. The Fijian community does things so well. Like they just, this is amazing. We just rock up on stage and just like yarn, but this is amazing. So come up, up, come up. Come on, guys. Before I share some words, um, if we can gather around them, would be awesome. Um, Paula and Siri, do you want to share some stuff? You're never short of words. <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, I, I was pretty blown away by the introduction that Pastor Simon said this morning, uh, but thank you for your kind words. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a big moment for, for both of us. Uh, but we, we trust in the Lord with, uh, with the calling that he has in our lives. But I want to acknowledge uh, the leaders of the church, Pastor Simon and all the pastors, the elders, and everyone here at Renew, those that are here this morning and those who are probably watching on, uh, online from Fiji. Uh, my Pacifica family that's here with me, I want to acknowledge that, and uh, especially my family from our Fijian community that are here to uh, support uh, the commissioning this morning. Uh, thank you. All I can say that uh, we trust in the Lord in this journey. Uh, you know, we're, we're never perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior. Uh, and that's we can trust in because uh, with him, everything is possible. Thank you. Thank you. So before I um, share any more, um, Pastor Talatala Ravalolo, he's the national overseer of um, Renew Church Fiji. He was actually secretly wanting to be here this morning for this, but it just didn't work out. That would have been an awesome surprise. Um, but instead, um, the next best thing was, was putting a video together. Um, so if we can show that video, greetings from Fiji to us this morning, and, and uh, Pastor Ravalolo wanted to share some words. From Renew Church Fiji, today we are so delighted and honored. Ibunaka, kia ora, from Renew Church Fiji. Today we are so delighted and honored to see our first Fijian family to be ordained as a, a pastor for Renew Church uh, New Zealand. This is hinge tree in the making for us. We wish to thank Pastor Simon and his oversight team for recognizing uh, Brother Paula's uh, pastoral gifting and uh, leadership capabilities and allow him to minister to the Pacific Island communities. To you, Brother Paula and Seru, uh, our prayers are with you and congratulations. We will always pray for you and we do believe that God has brought you uh, brought you this, God, this far for such a time as this to help our Pacific Island people to grow in the relationship with the Lord. I know that leadership is not new to you and your family. As you have been uh, successfully leading the Northland Fijian community over the years, I have no doubt that God will effectively use you to bring people into his kingdom. May uh, I pray this prayer of Psalms 20 over you, and I quote, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the Lord of Zion defend you. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your bound sacrifices. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and, and fulfill all your purpose. Morrow, 
in our level, thank you from us here in Renew Church Fiji, Mother Monday. So I want to share out of 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, which is uh, Paul, who was an apostle and I guess a, a father figure in a way to, to Timothy as a younger pastor. I just felt the words were really appropriate for you guys this morning. It says, I solemnly urge you, and in other translations it says, charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will solemnly someday ju judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So let's gather together and we can place our hands upon them. In the Fijian cultural way with commissioning, it's a very big deal, so they have them kneeling. So. And we're anointing with oil because it's a, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit setting apart. So. Polar and Seru, in the light of what you have shared and in the position of, and the position of Pacifica pastors you are stepping into, and with the affirmation of this church family, I charge you to live a life worthy of your calling, proclaim the truth lovingly and fearlessly, call us all to live for the kingdom of God, to keep our eyes on Jesus and the word of God in our hearts. Be an example by your faith, remembering that in all you do, your own individual lives before the Lord will count more in the end than any amount of ministry you may undertake. So now we commission you in the name of Jesus to be set apart, to serve Jesus Christ, your church family, and the wider community and beyond as Pacifica pastors of Renew Church. Thank you, God. Lord, I want to thank you for this historic occasion. Lord, and it is significant I really believe in what you're doing um, in this time for our church and the community and beyond. And it is an absolute privilege and an honor to be able to lay our hands upon this incredible couple this morning and pray them in, and commission and ordain them as pastors, specific pastors of Renew Church New Zealand. And as I was praying for both of you, um, Paula and Siru, I just felt that uh, because you guys have, have, have uh, you, your journey with God has been, has been difficult at times, but you've, you've, you've stayed the course and you've trusted in God and you've followed God um, wherever he's called you uh, and you've learned authority. Um, because you've learned authority and you've walked the distance, God is placing greater authority in your lives this morning. Because you understand authority, you are, uh, God is releasing to you much more authority. And um, the, the phrase came, I'm not sure if it's a motto or something, but lions don't need to roar to show their strength. And you guys are carrying great authority in the Holy Spirit 
Um, and that sometimes it's going to be super powerful, but you're going to still remain quiet. Uh, just remember that um, the armies of heaven are backing you up. You're a man and woman of great authority. doesn't have to be something you, you shout for. And I know you wouldn't do that or, or parade, but just because you carry God in your heart and the Holy Spirit, you are going to be people of great authority and, authority, and you are going to do damage to Satan's kingdom. In Jesus' name. This kind of follows on um, from what Simon was saying, but as I was thinking about you this morning, I got the word um, Goliath popped into my head, and then I started thinking about Polra and your stature, and I really felt God say that he's given, he's, he's given you a stature in the physical, but in the spirit, he's given you that um, stature of um, Goliath in your spirit and the strength, and that what you have gone through in the past and all the steps that you have taken um, and not in vain because they give you the skills and the tools that you have now to lead. And I really believe that God's going to give you um, a real manner and authority um, in your beautiful, quiet, um, serving way. But there is a strength in you that resembles the strength of your physical stature. I just want to declare that authority over you now in the name of Jesus. We declare the authority and the love of Jesus over you in Jesus' name. Do that three times. We declare the authority and the love of Jesus over you in Jesus' name. We declare as a group together the authority of Jesus over you both in Jesus' name. With that authority, there is a fresh dynamic that you will begin to feel stir your wairua, stir your heart. There is a fresh faith, brother and sister, that's going to come on you as a part of what you've committed to and what we've commended to God today. They come with fresh tools, fresh faith. Some of your challenges may increase. But I can see that I see you both praying at times and working through problems and God acting on your behalf. And there are tools from heaven and I feel like the Holy Spirit saying just receive them like David did in the wilderness. And he used under the anointing, he, he, he developed the tools for leadership that he needed. And some of those have already been worked into your life. But there is more to come. There is more to come. and there is a, So when you sense a stirring of the Spirit of God on your life, and you will, uh, just incline and lean into God and see what it's for and direct it to where, to, to where it should go or to the person that you're ministering to or whatever it is. And you'll see success come quite easily. You'll see breakthrough come quite easily. So some things may be tough, but some things you'll go, oh, how did that happen? And it'll be the spirit of the Lord and the activity of heaven around you that you will see. And uh, it will delight you what God does through you and around you. And he will raise up others also to stand with you uh, in like manner. So Father, we bless you for this couple. We commit them to you.
And we thank you for that dynamic that you're bringing into their lives. We pray, almighty God, for your protection. Thank you that the things that we keep, commit to you are protected, Lord. Peter said we are kept by the power of God. And we pray for this protection over their entire whanau. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Paula, this is just, I guess, a confirmation of um, Simon's word for you, but the word that I got uh, for you was silent assassin. Um, and I just see you just um, quietly in your own way, just taking out the enemy's plans without giving him any glory or, um, or any, I guess, stage time was what he was trying to attack. Um, and I just see you totally stealthily just going into the supernatural realm um, and just and cutting things off um, at the root of his plans so that actually your community, your people, um, are not going to be harmed by the enemy in any way. So, God, I just thank you for, um, I thank you again for the authority that you're placing on Paula and Sidhu today. We thank you for their heart, God. We thank you for the humility. And I just thank you for um, a, a double portion of, of your power and of your grace to do this role, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The past probably couple of days, I've just been kind of sitting and on on this and on a passage of scripture, um, and could just feel the heart of Christ towards um, it, like in this. And the key eschatological passage, um, like sign that we are all looking for, is in Matthew twenty four fourteen. It says this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Jesus, um, I could, I, as, as I was just been thinking about this, I could see the heart of Christ for Fiji going, I, I, I want in this nation the gospel to be fully proclaimed. I want in these nations you guys are representing the gospel to be fully proclaimed, not half proclaimed, not not partially proclaimed, but fully proclaimed. And I could just feel the heart of Christ towards um, you guys today saying, like cheering you on, saying, yes, go preach the gospel. Yes, I, I actually care about people groups. I'm not, I I'm not just looking at you all and being like, I'll just pick anybody, but I... My heart is for Fiji. My heart is for your people. My heart is for the people you represent. And so could we just stretch our hands out towards them and pray together, church? Lord Jesus, would you lift your voice as well? It's quiet in here. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're seeing a facet of your heart in the room this morning, Lord Jesus. I thank you that your heart is for Fiji. Your heart is for the Pacific Islands, Lord. Your heart is for these people. And God, you are saying, I, I, I want the full, the fullness of the kingdom to be proclaimed. Not just a part, not just partial salvation, but fully saved, fully transformed. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that this moment would be a catalyst. This moment would open something up, God. 
God. We thank you for what you're going to do as you connect us deeply with Renew Church Fiji, God. We thank you that for what you're going to do in this time. And so, Lord, we just pray um, your blessing, your hand upon them, God, that their ability to hear your voice, Lord Jesus. And as their church, we agree. We say yes and amen. We, we, we agree with this. We agree with this commissioning today in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. You guys have seen God be faithful. You've seen him come through for you time and time again. And he's, it's just going to increase. That, um, along the journey, there's going to be problems and you're going to go, what is going on here? But as you look to God, you will see amazing things happen. And I see that there's going to be much fruit. And it's not from yep. striving, but it's from John 15, 5, about abiding with him. So I just bless you guys with that fruitfulness, fruitfulness in relationship with you, fruitfulness in their family, and fruitfulness in all the relationships that you bring to them, Father. We thank you, Father. You are so good and for what you are doing in their lives and through their lives. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand up. And I introduce you to Talatala. And Rodini, Rodini, Paula and Siru, give me hands. While you're all standing, just like turn around and say hello to a couple of people. Don't go wandering around, but um, while we exit the stage. All right, let's have a seat. That was so awesome. I've timed my message to be less than half an hour, so that's all good. Still be over by 11 o'clock. Who's excited for what God's going to be doing in, in this church, eh? It's just, like, days like this is just like, wow, what, what, what's God got in store? So this morning I want to talk about the two crosses of the Christian faith, and I, I promise you it's not heresy, uh, when we often think about, or when we're asked, it's like, well, how many crosses, and that we realize, say, well, well, there's one, obviously, there's, there's, there's the cross that Jesus died on for our sins and to pay the price, and that is true, but there are actually two crosses, and I want to share about that this morning, and uh, for those of you that know my preaching, I'm usually topical and go all over the place, I'm going to stay in one passage of scripture this morning. Um, or maybe one more at the end, but just one, which is a bit of a miracle. So if you guys have got your Bibles, um, you can just look up Mark 8, verse 31 to 38. It's interesting that the, the cross of Jesus is so, um, like, we, we love to focus on it, and we should. 
um, because that's how we get saved. But there is another cross called the Believer's Cross, um, and that is barely ever sort of thought about or, or, or preached about or taught about. And, and we don't like the Believer's Cross because our, our flesh hates it, um, and therefore we try and avoid it. But that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So Mark 8, verse 31 to 33, reading out of the English Standard Version. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Don't you love Peter? Um, I, I think I relate a lot to Peter. He's putting his foot in his mouth all the time and he thinks he has the better idea and the better plan. So he actually literally takes God in the flesh aside and thinks he can tell God what to do here, and he rebukes him, which is a strong word. He's really telling Jesus off. But turning and seeing his disciples, so this is a dialogue, and I can just imagine the conversation happening uh, with, with Peter and with, with Jesus, and if Peter's raised his voice a little bit because he's passionate about this, and all the other disciples are thinking, what the heck's going on? And they're all watching what's going on. So turning and seeing his disciples, so in my opinion, I think that Jesus was addressing something in Peter, but he was making it a life lesson for everyone who was an earshot of him. Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Like he's rebuking Peter and calling him Satan. Just imagine how many people would leave the church if, or churches if pastors called their congregations Satan. Uh, pretty heavy duty. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's an interesting and very um, significant thing that Jesus says right as we start this. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is a valid question. Even as, as believers in Jesus, what are we setting our minds on? What is first and foremost in the front of our thinking and what is influencing us in our life? Is it the things of man or the things of God? Because I want to tell you, those things are actually not compatible with each other. And so what does it mean about the things of man? I reckon, and again, this is my opinion, in our modern day rhetoric, there's something called secular humanism, which is where um, humanity and self is the most important. So I want to give you a bit of a definition of secular humanism. It's a philosophical stance or worldview that emphasizes human values, ethics, and reason without necessarily relying on religious beliefs. It is a perspective that places human beings at the center of moral and ethical decision-making and emphasizes the importance of critical thinking, rationality, and evidence-based reasoning. So that's secular humanism, human being the big part of that word. What does Christianity mean, and how is that defined? And remember that Christian, or Christ, is the big part of this word. Christianity is centered not on us or myself, but on the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom believers consider the Son of God and the Savior of humanity. It is characterized by a strong belief in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and authority of the Bible and the doctrine of salvation through faith in Jesus as the only way. It has had a profound influence on world history, culture, morality, and continues to be one of the world's major religions. Secular humanism and Christianity are completely different, and they should be incompatible, but what we do is we blend it all together, and we evaluate or elevate self above Jesus. And as, as we saw with, with Peter, 
um, and, and how he was compassionate. And you probably thought he was doing the right thing, rebuking Jesus and saying, now, this isn't what's going to happen. Your, your, your journey can't lead to your death. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the things of man can sound very noble. They do, but Jesus has to be first, and Jesus has to be above all that. So Mark 8, 34, and calling the crowd to him with disciples. So it's been Peter and Jesus, and then the disciples were there, and so he's calling the disciples to him and the crowd. So that shows us that what Jesus is about to say is a message not just for the heavy-duty disciples or people that are really great with God or people that have been to um, seminary college or people that have given up everything on the mission field. This is for everyone. The, the disciples, the, the people that were following Jesus around, those ones that are on the fridges, fr- fr- fridges, fringes, people that are in fridges, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. They say um, with with preachers and teachers, you pretty much have only got like about five life messages. And you just rewrite them and you change it around. But we carry... And we are passionate for certain life messages. And I think for me, discipleship and surrender probably is one of those life messages. So I want to sort of unpack that a little bit because this was, Jesus was addressing everyone when he said this. This is a very, very important thing he says. If anyone would come after me or be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So what does denying yourself mean? That word in the Greek is a pardonomai and it means to disown, reject or refuse. To disown, reject, or refuse. And so often we think that like self-denial is when we give up stuff, and I think there's an aspect to that. But biblically and in the writings of the day in, in, Greek, in the Greek language and understanding, you never use that word deny really about stuff. It was hardly ever used for that. It was all, almost always used in the context of relationship um, with, with someone else. Uh, so it wasn't really about denying or disowning stuff. It was about denying and disowning People And we see this in a very real and literal way. Um, just before Jesus was uh, about to be crucified, Peter disowns Jesus. He says, I don't know the man. He, he distanced, him, distanced himself from Jesus. And that word disowned and deny is the exact same word in the New Testament. So with that understanding then, self-denial, denying yourself then, is the intentional disowning of the self. Or stepping away from relationship with the self as my primary, primary allegiance. And I tell you what, that's a difficult thing to do because we love pampering ourselves, don't we? Like, I man, for me, I love pampering myself. Like, I've, started, I've been running for the last two and a half months. I hate running. Like, everything in myself is screaming, Simon, just go and eat something and don't go running. When we get up to pray, like myself doesn't want to do that. It's like, I'd rather sleep in. I, I want to, we want to pamper ourselves. But what Jesus is saying, and this is a message to everyone, not just the super spiritual Christians, we have got to learn to deny ourselves, to step off the throne of my life as self being the most important and placing Jesus in his rightful place as the most important in my life. And to be really frank with you, I think, in the West especially, 
We, we, we've been sucked into a, a bit of a distorted view of the gospel where Jesus is there and he saved our soul and that is amazing. And he's there when we, when we need him or we cry out to him for help um, and, and we love having him around. But if you think in that context of being on the throne, if there was a throne room in my life and um, is it Jesus or, or, or me on the throne? Sometimes I'm still on the throne, to be honest, and if we're not careful, then we treat Jesus like a butler or a servant, or even sometimes as our jester. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing here. If anyone wants to come after me, fault, like make a difference in life, deny yourself. Our self is now not on the throne of our life. And uh, the parallel to this, um, in, in Luke 9, 3, all of this, it says that we've got to do this daily. It's a daily thing. Deny yourself. So you're thinking, well, okay, I've, I'm just barely saved, and I'm, but this must be a message for, for you, like, you know, the pastors and the leaders and all those guys that are really hardcore into this Jesus thing. Matthew Henry, who was a great commentary, uh, commentator of the Bible in the 1600s, he said this, the first lesson in Christ's school is self-denial. The very first thing that we should be understanding is self-denial, the very first lesson. Mark 8, verse 34, calling to the crowd to him, with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me, number two, take up your cross. And this is something that I've only just really realized. When you hear this word or we read the word cross, we almost always picture Jesus on the cross. And we think it's talking about Jesus. But we've got to put ourselves in the, uh, in, the, in the place of the people who are listening and hearing this. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. Like, they had no concept, really, of Jesus being crucified on a cross. So what their concept of crucifixion was what, is what they had seen all around them. And to really understand this, we need to have a bit of a history lesson. Who loves history? The Romans would crucify individuals in prominent and highly visible locations to serve as a deterrent to others and as a reminder of Roman authority and power. There's a guy called Spartacus, well-known. He led a slave revolt. Um, in about 70 BC, and that whole thing was thwarted by the Romans, and they literally crucified thousands upon thousands of people, lined the streets with crosses. And so just imagine your lampposts all over the place. Just imagine those crosses with people dying upon them. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, they had a very vivid, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about what was he talking about? Crucifixion was reserved specifically for offenders who had rebelled against authority. To take up one's cross, we think of that in a, a Christian perspective, but that was a phrase used secularly. Like this was a well-known phrase. What did it mean? To take up one's cross referred to the practice of forcing a condemned person to carry the cross beam to his ex execution site. This showed that although although he had rebelled against authority. The condemned person was now so completely conquered that his last act in life would be to carry the instrument of his demise to the place of his death. It was a show of complete and utter submission. It was a show of complete and utter submission. To call the call to, to carry one's cross, then as part of following Jesus, is the call to be as submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was to his death. to be willing to be led out to public execution, to know that our reputation 
is, is gone to, to be willing to have that level of surrender and submission to Jesus to take up your cross. Now, Jesus said this not just to his disciples, but to everyone that would, would be hearing him. Now, there's one cross, the cross of Jesus, and that saves us. It is so important. No other self, we can't get saved any other way than through Jesus and what he did on the cross. But there is another cross that we hardly ever hear about called the believer's cross. And we are called to take up our cross. This is a choice. Some people use this phrase wrong and they say, well, I, like I'm sick and this is my cross to bear or that relationship, that, like that's my cross to bear. Like this cross to bear that we are encouraged and invited to, to take up, it's a choice. We have a choice to do this. Some things in life we haven't got a choice on, and that's not really carrying our cross. This is something we willingly and submissively do as an act of lordship and surrender to Jesus. I wrote something a few weeks ago. Now, sometimes I, I, I don't want to get in trouble, so I quote someone else. And I say, well, you, can, you guys can be offended at them, but don't get offended at me because I'm just saying it. I didn't write it. Well, I wrote this one, and I own this. <laughs> I believe so many people nowadays view the gospel through the lens of therapeutic value. People are very happy with Jesus' cross, but not the believer's cross, which is the crucifixion of flesh and self. It is painful. It never feels enjoyable. It never feels lovey-dovey. But it is the gospel, and I'm afraid that a false, woke, self-centered gospel of love, acceptance, and inclusion is superseding the true gospel. I really do believe we are in that time where self is being so elevated. You just have to look at some of the best-selling books on Amazon. It's all about self-help and, and self-medication and, and, and self-esteem and all of that. And it, those things are valid. But we need to keep in mind that our minds should be focused on Jesus first and not on the things of man. Take up your cross. Follow me. It's, it's harsh. It's rough. It's not a lazy boy cross. It's not a nicely upholstered with, with, with feather and goose down, like 95% down and 5%. Like I, bought a, I bought a pillow like that, and I felt stink about it, so I gave it to Christy. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about to, it's, a, it's a place of death, of setting ourselves aside of complete surrender and lordship. The first cross is the cross of salvation. The second cross, I believe, is the cross of effective discipleship. And it is the cross we take up. Then we start living the true life and the blessed life that God has called us to live. That second cross doesn't save us. Salvation is a free gift. And I want to reiterate that with everyone here or watching this. Coming to Jesus and, and him saving our souls and, and washing us clean of our sin, that's a free gift. It's, we just have to reach out and grab it. But to really truly be effective in this life, to be disciples, and to make a difference in the one shot of life that we've got, I believe it's all about this, taking up our cross, the believer's cross. Number three, and follow me. Believers in Jesus won't necessarily make a difference to this world, followers of Jesus will. Following, it says follow me, equals discipleship, and discipleship equals self-denial and cross-bearing. That's it. When Jesus calls for self-denial and cross-bearing, he's claiming authority. Following Christ means disowning the self and giving allegiance to him instead. And it means giving him allegiance down to the very depths of our being. Challenge for me is, will I continue to follow Jesus even when he leads me to places I don't want to go? Because if we're following him truly, we are going to be following him in places that 
we may not think or ourself will be crying out in rebellion, but, well, I I don't want to have that that crucial conversation with that person, or I don't want to say sorry for that, and I don't want to give that to that person, and I really don't want to stop doing this or whatever it is that we're doing that we know is not pleasing of God. But to follow Jesus, it truly means to follow him wherever he calls us to go. The last thing I wanted to do when I was a teenager was to be a pastor. I ran away from the call of God. I just wanted to play in a band and go surfing. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And I married Christy, and she was a musician, and she surfed. It was like, wow, all my dreams have come true. I didn't actually work out how I was going to pay for going surfing all the time. We're being sponsored by the government to do that. (laughs) He called us into ministry. And, you know, that was a cost. But to many people, God calls them to live a life of so complete surrender that they lose their lives. I love, um, and I've talked it over with Paula before, and I'm going to share it because I know that Paula loves it. James Calvert, one of the missionaries to the Fijian Islands, when he was going to, to share the gospel for what, like the very first times, um, and it was just about to, and, and the Fijian Islands, there were cannibals there, um, and, and people were fearful of their lives, and the captain of the ship, they were just about to land on the Fijian Islands, said, you don't want to go there, you're going to lose your life if you if you go and share the gospel with these people. And James Calvert said, I've already lost my life. I've given it completely to Jesus. What is there left to lose? Mark 8, verse 35, for whoever would save his life and lo- will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I'm so pleased and privileged to have been raised in the Salvation Army um, and I'm not sure, I, we haven't been there for like 20 plus years, but back in the, um, or really been involved in it, but when I was growing up, man, the call to surrender was like almost every Sunday you heard it. And I mean, I hated those altar calls. It's like, oh, this is like surrender. It's like hot or cold. There was no real middle ground. And I was just so frustrated. It's like, yeah, I want to be a Christian, but like not give everything. Like, what if you call me to be a pastor or go on the mission field, God? It's like, later. But the call... For surrender was, and I just thank God so much for that, because that really truly is the call to complete um, surrender, discipleship. As in Paul, uh, when he said Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Mark 8, verse 36 to 37, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? That shows me that Our souls are priceless. Our souls, your soul is worth more than anything on earth. Why? It's because our souls are the only things that are eternal. Everything on this earth is going to fade away one day. But the only thing that's truly eternal is your soul. Our souls are going to live forever. The only deciding question or the crucial conversation is, or question is where our souls are going to be. Is it going to, our souls going to be with, with God forever in paradise or separated from God in hell? So that's why our, our souls are so valuable. What does it profit a man if he gains everything in the world yet loses his soul? So many people try to cram stuff and relationships and drugs and, and good vibes and, and sex, all of that into this hole and this void that we have and nothing really ever fits or fulfills us other than Jesus. And that is so glaringly proven by Hollywood. Like if all that stuff really truly made us happy and fulfilled, then Hollywood would be the most fulfilled and happy place in the world. It'd be like heaven on earth, and yet we don't see that. We see drug abuse, 
relationships broken down, people falling apart everywhere, a lot of, a lot of death, um, overdose and suicide. And sometimes you know, we listen to the good old, it used to be called classic hits, what's it called now? Coast? Ro- coast? It's like when music was good once upon a time, like in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> listen to that on the radio. I remember listening to a song, taking Kiala to school, and it's like, you know, that, that person, you know, he, he died of a drug overdose. And so often what happens, we're listening to someone, oh, that person, yeah, they, they, they killed themselves. This person, like nothing else will fill that void except Jesus. When will we understand that? We, we, we spend a lot of our lives, even as Christians, pursuing stuff and money and, and, and esteem, accolades, all of that. It's, it's not going to really mean anything. And, and, and God allows us that stuff so that we can um, prosper in life absolutely and be an influence and a blessing to other people. That, that stuff never makes us happy. But yet we fool ourselves to think it does. Verse 38. And this verse, like you'll hardly ever hear this verse preached because it's such a heavy hitting verse. And if you're like, we, we love preaching on things that we like in the Bible, but as a pastor and as a, as a teacher and a shepherd, like I, I haven't got that, that privilege to be able to just share on the nice stuff. And sometimes I've got to share some of the things that Jesus said. And I hope, hope I do that with love. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Ashamed of me and my words. Uh, We all love Jesus or an image of Jesus that we have. And it's so often caught up in perhaps the, the, the image of Jesus we have is like he's from Sweden, he's got blonde hair, it's... Like he's got like the, the wind is blowing and he looks so handsome. He's got blue eyes and he's got like a sash, like a beauty pageant sash. And he's got Birkenstocks. <laughs> and he's carrying like some daisies and he, he just loves us so much and he loves everyone so much. And he's just there at our every womb. He just, man, Jesus is just so loving because like love is love and Jesus is love and like love wins. And he's just so loving, and I just, I'm so in love with Jesus. He's my boyfriend. He's just so awesome. I love him so much. <laughs> so there's an aspect of Jesus that we love, and, and he's my best friend, and I love him, and that's awesome because he is closer than a brother. So we're not really ashamed of Jesus, but his words, some of the things he shared in the Bible. And we are living in a time where I think a lot of people are still loving Jesus, but they are ashamed of his words, so therefore they forget or ignore or rebuke or push away his words or redefine his words. And that is not the gospel. Ashamed of me and my words. We cannot change the meaning of what Jesus said. The last 2,000 years, the church fathers, we understood this. In the last 50 years or so, we've thought that we are, we are arrogant enough to think, oh, no, that doesn't mean what that is. We're changing it now. And we're redefining or rewriting or re-editing what the words of Jesus said. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. What does adulterous generation mean? Jesus said it a few times, like four or five times in the New Testament. And that themes right through the Old Testament with, with the Israelites backsliding and turning away from God and following other gods. The metaphorical use of adulterous generation implies that the people were unfaithful to God like a spouse being unfaithful in marriage. 
They were turning away from God's ways and following their own desires or seeking after false gods and false teachings. Jesus was warning them about the need for repentance, faith, and a return to a true relationship with God. In essence, he was calling out the moral and spiritual corruption of the generation and urging them to turn back to God and embrace a faithful and righteous way of living. It was a call to spiritual renewal and a rejection of the sinful and faithful, faithless attitudes and behaviors of the time. Like all of us, we're praying for revival. And I think back to the Jesus revolution that happened um, just before my time, where so many lost youth came running to churches, and they came running to a lot of traditional churches, and, and the traditional people said, what, what are we going to do with these strange people? But it was an awakening, and I think a big reason for that is people back then understood the call to surrender. They were surrendering their lives wholeheartedly to other gods and other religions and to drugs and to free love. And then they understood all of that stuff was only breaking their hearts. And all of a sudden, Jesus, they're starting to hear about this incredible man called Jesus who died for their sins. And so they understood the, the, the whole idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross. And they flocked to the churches and the world was literally changed in the West. I think that is truly what's going to take, it's going to take to turn the tide here in New Zealand and other places for us as believers in Jesus, not just to, to understand the cross of Jesus, but to understand the believer's cross, the call to true discipleship. Man, if there's anyone I'm preaching this to, it's, it's to me. Even as a pastor, like so often I, I wander off the altar of my life or myself climbs up onto the, like pushes Jesus out of the way and climbs up onto the throne. Again, Charles Spurgeon, I love old, long gone pastors and preachers. He says, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one. And that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live wholly to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German pastor, just started reading his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Like he stood up against the Nazi party. Um, and right at the fall of the Third Reich, like they could have set him free, but they hanged him. Like this was his life. He, he died as a martyr, a, a German um, pastor who refused to, to bow down to, to Nazism. This is what he said. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is Jesus leads the way, so keep close to him. Jesus leads the way. Keep close to him. I'll have the band up and they can get ready now. I just want to, okay, switch one, one more passage of scripture. We talked about Peter um, denying literally Jesus, disowning him. I just want to share this um, as a bit of a, a conclusion. So Jesus, uh, he, Peter denies Christ, Jesus is crucified, and um, after so so long, three days he rises from the dead and then he comes later on and shows that he's alive to his disciples and he has breakfast with Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, I know that I love you. So Peter denied Christ three times and three times Jesus says this is an incredible, beautiful picture of Jesus restoring Peter. So no matter what we've done in life and how far we've fallen and failed, Jesus wants to restore us. Feed my lambs, he said. Uh, I've him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Like Peter became like the first pastor, really, of the church that was about to be birthed. But when you are old, like we, we love that, but we don't really talk about this part. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter went on to be crucified. I think he wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified like Jesus did. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. So Peter's fallen. He's been restored. Jesus has forgiven him and and given him a mantle of leadership. And then he goes on to tell Peter Like, your life probably isn't going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. It's actually going to end badly for you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. And then he says to Peter, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was um, John who wrote this book. So John had like just, oh, God, Jesus loves me. I'm going to tell everyone about it. I'm going to write it down in the Bible who loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, is that who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So it so often happens as we, you know, our our life is not going very well. Maybe we've surrendered to the call of ministry and it's really tough and hard. And we look at other people and think, man, they're having a great life, completely different to mine. What about them? I want to be like that person. I want to have that person's ministry. They seem to have it all together. What about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Jesus is saying, don't worry about that person. Don't compare yourself or think that that his journey is any like the same or you should be on that journey. He says, you follow me. The call to true discipleship, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Jesus said to everyone, it's an open invitation, but then he brings it right down to us as individuals. It's like Jesus is right there beside me today and speaking to me and only me, and he's doing the same to you and saying, it may not end like it's great. You might have to suffer a lot for me and for the sake of the gospel, but will you follow me? And that is still an invitation. The the cross of Jesus saves us and sets us free. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's an open invitation for you. But Jesus gives us a second invitation to discipleship, to true life, to live the life that Jesus has truly got for us. And it may not look pretty in the world's eyes. It may look like you're failing in the world's eyes. It may look like you're going to be a reject in the world's eyes, but it's going to be completely different in the eyes of Jesus. Because when you're following him closely, you're doing his will, and he is so pleased with you. Mark 8, 34 to 35, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospels will save it. If we just want to stand, that would be great. I promise you I'll start a super encouraging series one of these days. but... (laughs) But I just feel that desperate times call for desperate measures and for getting back to really what the word of God is saying and it grieves my heart where this world is at this point in time and what is going on in so many people's lives but we dare not if anything we dare not 
detract or remove ourselves from church and what God is doing. If anything, let's just walk closer with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to be so close to you because that's where peace and true life is. So what are we going to do now? I'm not actually quite sure because the call to discipleship, it may not be something that we'd like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to buy a can of Coke. Like, it's not really that sort of decision. But I do know that decisions turn into a discipline and discipline turn into desire. So, and, and the Holy Spirit is definitely here this morning. Um, if you're watching this, I really believe the Holy Spirit's moving in your life as well. And today may be the time where God is calling you to do that, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow. It might be a fresh surrender that you need to do today. And if that's you, as we're seeing, please come up the front and kneel. No one will pray for you. If you want prayer, come up the front and, and stand. Um, I know this has been a pretty heavy-hitting message this morning. Um, and I, I don't want to sort of scare anyone away. If, if this is your first time, you think, what is this Christianity thing? I just want to let you know that the cross of Jesus Christ and his blood washes away all sin. He loves you. He's got his hands wide open to you this morning. And if you want to get saved, please come and stand. And we want to talk to someone about um, what it means to be a Christian. Please come and stand as well. And let's pray and let's worship and let's do business with, with Jesus. God bless you guys. Your love is endless. Your love is endless. Your love is endless. Your love is